Welcome to episode 24 of the Kevin Doherty podcast. My guest today is Adam O'Brien. Adam has been a guest on the podcast before, and today we chatted about a bunch of stuff, including the pandemic in America, Christmas in Ireland, protests, the build-up to the 2020 election, American politics, Trump's America, and settling down. If you enjoy this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you helped spread the word by recommending it to a friend or sharing it on your Instagram stories and tagging me at the Kevin Doherty podcast. Thank you for listening. Adam, long time no see. How's Denver treating you, man? Kev, how are things? It's almost been a year. Denver's treating me good. How's Dublin? Yeah, it's good, man. Um, we're currently in lockdown too. Hopefully things will start to be less restrictive at the start of December, but it's it's very wait and see. I suppose in terms of positive news, Pfizer have announced a vaccine that's 90% effective and they're saying that they'll have... I think close to 2 million doses for Ireland by the end of January or by the end of February. So positive news on paper. I don't know how quickly they'll be able to roll all that out and how quickly we can start to get things back to what things were like in years gone by. But it's very wait and see. Who knows? How about you, man? Oh, I wonder, is Ireland giving Pfizer more tax incentives to give them, give them more, <laughs> Quite possibly. more than their fair share of vaccines? Quite possibly. You uh, make it think- here. Why not? Absolutely. Thing, yeah, things are things are kind of funny here, man. Um, I mean, we should. It's funny because I get a lot of my news and media from Ireland, obviously, just from social media, I suppose, and just my news sources. I'm still looking at uh, some Irish news, but um, I mean, with our numbers, we should be in a lockdown. Like we're in what they call a stage three now, um, which means bars are still open, uh, cafes, restaurants still open offices still open but they're at 25 percent capacity um you'd actually be surprised at what 25 percent capacity looks like though you pass by a bar and a restaurant and 25 percent capacity doesn't look that empty i'd say the the full capacity is probably set to fire standards so it's probably you know those places are probably never at full capacity to be honest um but I mean, you you were here. We're kind of lucky in Colorado. We get have three hundred days of sunshine. Is what they advertise. So I mean, it's very easy to um, eat outdoors and you know utilize the outdoor space. Um, so the bars and restaurants have maintained open, but the cases are skyrocketing, man. Um, the highest we've seen in the entire pandemic. Uh, Friday the thirteenth alone, we had. Uh, I think almost 7,000 new cases that day. Um, the day before, for example, I think it's been, uh, that's been the highest. For the week before, we almost had about 4,000 a day cases. Uh, just in Colorado, Colorado is the same population as Ireland, but four times the landmass. So yeah, we've like roughly five and a half or six million people in the state. Um, obviously, most of that population is in the big cities along the, the front range of the mountains. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like I can, after we finish up here, I can go to the pub and have a pint and I can, 
you know, there's no restriction on movement, which is kind of wild. Um, I would guess it's coming. Yeah, what's your feeling on how they're handling it versus when you look at maybe how Ireland has taken maybe a much more conservative or proactive stance on the virus? Like, what are your thoughts on that, living in Denver? Well, look, it's kind of funny from a selfish standpoint. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm glad Ireland is strict because, you know, my mother has asthma and my grandmother, you know, is old and it's good that they're... <laughs> that they're taking a lot of precautions there um but looking at young people and looking how seriously ireland is it it seems tough um i know obviously it's tough because we're in it and they're taking the precautions if they're not if they hadn't been taking the precautions i I guess we just don't know how out of hand it would have gotten and if you look back in you know years to come maybe they'll be you know applauded for how seriously they're taking it um but I mean, here, I know the summer in Ireland seemed to be great. I mean, it seemed like, yes, people weren't traveling abroad as such, but people seemed to be really making the most of the summer. And, you know, bars and restaurants were kind of somewhat open again, or I guess bars weren't, but restaurants were and hotels and stuff. And people seemed to be traveling around and enjoying it. But I mean, it, it's been it's been great here in a lot of ways because stuff has remained open um, or you, you you've at least had a choice. So it doesn't look like I'll be going back to the office anytime soon. Um, but then you have the choice of at the weekend going to the pub or going and eating at a restaurant. And I guess it probably just comes down to more American ideologies or culture where you get to make your own decisions. Yeah, freedom just seems to be such a, an important intrinsic part of the American experience. Yeah, free. I mean, that word alone is the most heavily weighted word in the American English language by far. I mean, it means whatever you want that word to mean to anybody, you know. Um, it's just a loaded word. Freedom to a liberal means something totally different to freedom to uh, a, a conservative or Republican or whatever. But yeah, that's a, that's a loaded word in America. But freedom is a big aspect of it. Um, but um, in saying that, Colorado has taken a much more progressive approach than some other states. Um, the, you know, Colorado, New Mexico, California, some of those states were, they had more kind of uh, measures in place early on in terms of masks and in terms of locking down originally. Um, but I feel like we almost need something again. You know, it's kind of gone crazy again. And you know yourself with the federal system, I mean, yeah, you can control what, we do in Colorado, but yet the airport is still open. It's such a tourist destination all summer that there's just flocks and flocks of people coming in all the time and now ski season is starting. So, I mean, yes, you can kind of control it at the state level, but also people from any part of the country can also just come here, you know, and there's no real restrictions on them. I think as well for Americans at the end of this month, they have one of their their biggest periods of travel, Thanksgiving. So if case numbers right. are already high leaving free travel for that period of time when people go back to relatives when they go back to their extended family that does seem like a recipe for disaster if you're just looking at it at the lens from the lens of the virus completely and actually the um case counts there last friday as i said was almost seven thousand. but that's exactly two weeks after halloween and i guess 
from just looking at social media here and you know talking to friends of friends i know there was a lot of halloween parties here um and a lot of people you know going out i mean the bars to be fair the bars are have been really good you know a lot of bars you go into they'll take your temperature and you know your own you're not allowed to mingle in the bar you have to stay at your table servers come to your table it's all um electronic menus there's no actual physical menus you know, you know they're doing their part uh, and they're spraying down tables you know after um the the next group of people comes in and stuff um but i think yeah it's the house parties and just people socializing and traveling is the issue um and i mean if there was that many cases two weeks after halloween i'd say after thanksgiving it'll be pretty wild and yeah thanksgiving is such an important holiday and as you said it's really hard to tell americans what to do yeah um so i yeah i'd, I'd be nervous about the the spike after thanksgiving how have you found 2020 in terms of has it dramatically changed your day-to-day or what's it been like for you it's been great in a lot of ways like working from home is unreal like but <laughs> um getting up two hours later in the morning is fantastic um but i mean 2020 it, i've enjoyed working from home and been able to have it almost feels like more time to myself and when you're still allowed travel and you can still socialize here it's been enjoyable actually um and i as I said, it's kind of up to you, you know, like my socializing during the summer or whatever, it looked, you know, we were just going to parks and kind of keeping our six feet distance. And, but you'd, you know, you'd go with a soccer ball, you take out the hurls or you'd, you'd meet, meet a couple of lads for cans or something. And, you know, you, you, you were making your own choice there, you know, and people were staying safe. And to be fair, like, I think there, there was a lot of precautions put in place early here. Um, like we were wearing masks quite early here and, there was a lot of restrictions on the supermarkets and on stuff, but um, yeah, 2020 hasn't been terrible for me, uh, to be honest. Uh, having the, Being so close to so much outdoor stuff in Colorado was great for the summer. I think winter will be tougher. I, I think the first couple of, you know, March and April yeah. were tougher because it was, it was more of a strict lockdown as well, and we didn't know what we were dealing with. Um, that loosened up a lot in the summer and i'd say winter we're starting to it, it the fun is kind of going out of it now with the shorter days and stuff and you can't it's getting colder it's harder to eat outside and stuff or socialize outside um what about you how have you found 2020 um it's been a good year man as in like for the first lockdown i was put on furlough i i really enjoyed the time off the weather was spectacular for months it was, it was fantastic um, for the second lockdown, I'm still working. I'm doing a little bit of different work. Like I would have worked with restaurants in the city center. Obviously, that's kind of collapsed at the moment. So I'm working. It's a little bit different. So it's kind of a, feels a little bit more normal this time. And I do think this time it feels that little bit less restrictive as well. All in all, it's been a pretty positive year. But um, it, it's just kind of like, I suppose, facing into the winter now that you don't have nature to go out into probably the next three or four months it'll probably be a little bit of a different experience but i think it's all how you treat it as well and just being a little bit realistic about it you know what i mean it's like again this won't be a thing that's with us forever but it's with us now so it's like just 
try and try and get by you know what i mean just try and try and enjoy what you can and see how it goes i think um i think a big kind of topic of conversation in ireland at the moment probably similar to with people traveling for thanksgiving at the end of november in the us like there's a lot of talk of what will the irish christmas look like now and um uh, some of our politicians have come out and said that people shouldn't be booking flights home in the next couple of weeks they should wait until december to see what the numbers are like and there's a little bit of outrage but you can also it like if you're if you're being very very objective about just through the lens of covid so if you look last year at the amount of people that landed in ireland in december it was close enough to like eight hundred thousand. and if you took away the emotional attachment of christmas this year and you just said right there's going to be free movement of people from other countries of at least half a million people coming in in december like you'd look at it from a different way but christmas i think especially for irish people and irish people abroad it's such a, a loaded time emotionally that uh people maybe get a little bit lost in the what's what's best for now versus what's best for the greater good and i think it's tough for people that are away as well to not come home i i don't know like um have you been talking to some of your friends in Denver? Like, is, is anybody talking about travel or is that kind of like out of the question? What's it like? I mean, look, definitely so one or two of them were. Actually, one of the lads went home for uh, six weeks during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I think he was home for, you know, the, the, the times you were talking where there was a lot of free movement and the weather was good and he loved it. And I, I think a lot of his friends were home from the UK and, you know, they're parts, I guess, very fortunate to be, when you're, you know, working in an office to be able to work remotely. Um, so I think he took full advantage of that and was just working kind of American hours in, in Ireland and was going surfing in the mornings and kind of heading back to do his day's work and stuff. Uh, but I think cases were much lower here and there at the time. Like, I mean, with, this, also, this is kind of the first time I, I've actually known people in Colorado to have COVID. Um, yeah, like initially I knew people, you know, in New York and I knew people in London and whatever else that had it, you know, some of the kind of epicenters. Um, but the lads here, I think I think there's a realization that the, the numbers here are too high. And also, I mean, there's, I think so many different sources saying so many different things but from looking at some sources about long haul flights i think the exposure rate is way higher than you know a shorter flight yeah so if you're flying home from western europe yeah you're on a plane for an hour or two if you're flying home from denver for instance you have to get a connecting flight so that's two flights and you're going to be on flights for at least seven or eight hours um so i think there's a realization that it's probably not a good idea and i mean you're also supposed to quarantine and stuff so it just it it definitely it, it, it's just trickier logistically i suppose um and I, I don't think any of my friends will do it i know ben my brother is in uh new zealand and he's he's been there for two and a half years and hasn't been home and it was really eager to get home during the summer and then was thinking oh you know things will be better at christmas and things haven't been better uh so I think he would have to quarantine for two weeks getting to Ireland and then two weeks when he got back to New Zealand. So I mean, logistically, you know, logistics and trying to manage work, it's tricky. Yeah, if you're in the UK or something, 
I mean, it's much easier, you know. Yeah. And most Irish people abroad are in the UK, so I suppose you will see a lot of them coming home, maybe. But only time will tell, man. Um, I don't know. It's it, you could you could talk about this for weeks, and you still wouldn't get any closer <laughs> to any kind of like concrete. Right? This is an objective kind of fact. Do you know what I mean? There's just there's so much stuff you hear from every single source and it's nearly information overload with something like coronavirus at this stage. Like, you know so much about it, but realistically, do we know much more than we did a couple of months ago? It's like, I don't know. Like, it's it's a weird one. Funny here as well. Like, I mean, it's so politicized, as you know, from, you know, looking in from the outside. I mean, it it's funny how something like masks can be politicized you know you've got two main parties in the u.s obviously one of them has been uh, uh, several you know prominent members of the republican party obviously have been outspoken about you know and been seen in public not wearing masks and that kind of stuff and you know traveling around and just hold you know i mean you see trump like holding massive rallies in different states that would allow it um so it's funny even talking to people here, how it's become politicized. Mm. Um, that's some people. So our office here in Denver, where, um, as I said, there's you're allowed to have 25% capacity. So there was kind of a, an online spreadsheet set up. And, you know, based on that, people could kind of book their time in the office. And it's interesting to see the people that are going into the office. And you're kind of in your head you're thinking yeah probably on the conservative side probably on the you know based on conversations with them um but the yeah the politicization of it is just kind of is interesting to watch here and i mean funny when we first locked down here when i guess in march or april when people didn't know what was going on uh yeah but like as you know you, you've been here yourself um you visited denver and you know we toured around a little bit but uh, most of the cities in colorado are obviously quite like as most states, they're quite liberal and progressive, and then you step outside of the city, and it, you know it becomes much more conservative. And it was interesting when the state first locked down in April time, I'd say, or March, late March. There was a lot of protests here, and those protests at the state capitol, and you had it, it was interesting because you feel almost sheltered in Denver. You feel like you're in a bit of a bubble, you know. And it's almost weird to see a Trump flag or something like that, you know what I mean? So we um, we were out for a, a bike ride, actually, and we cycled past the state capitol, and you just saw, like, hundreds and hundreds of huge pickup trucks with Trump flags and people hanging out of them, and there was just people at the state capitol with American flags and Trump flags and protesting, wearing masks. And there was this really interesting standoff between healthcare workers and these kind of conservatives or, you know, far right people. And th there was one really poignant image that kind of um, was circulated worldwide. And it was this lady dressed head to toe in like American flag attire and wearing like a Trump hat, yelling at, and pointing at a healthcare worker who had a sign like masks save lives or something. And it just kind of was really poignant uh, in terms of capturing or encapsulating the kind of tension between people's feelings about keeping the economy open and their freedoms versus people who thought, um, you know, the, 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 
there was need for kind of communal uh, greater good to try protect people. Um, but it, it's interesting, and I, it, it it's crazy in a, an election year to see the extent of how that was politicized. You know. Yeah, this year must have been pretty crazy in terms of like the build up to the election. Like, um, when does it start over there? Like, when does it really start? Like, kind of trucking on the juggernaut of this kind of like election campaign, and what does it look like day to day? It's funny from a completely selfish standpoint. It's like it's so interesting to be here and just observe it. You know, I'm I'm kind of almost sad that we weren't in the office because you would have experienced it a bit more. You know. Um, but I mean, I suppose the US um, political system, as the whole world knows, I mean, they vote every four years um, on the president and on the Senate, I think. But then the uh, House is every is on an, an altering four years. So it's, you know, two years in between. So it kind of started two years ago, I think, a little bit. There was, you know, there was, um, well, you know, there was votes for the house and then i suppose it, it really starts started maybe pro- probably nine months ago eight or nine months ago when you know um the candidates really started campaigning and stuff maybe almost a year ago i'd say right um when you, yeah you saw bloomberg coming into the race and you saw other candidates you know kind of throwing their throwing their hat in um her name in the hat um but yeah i mean it, I think it's sensationalized too. It was funny. I was talking to one of the lads at home and he was saying like, you know, only America could make an election entertaining. Do you know what I mean? Like the Irish election, you would never stay up watching the American or the Irish election or Irish referendum results on TV, but people are glued. They make it, you know, you look at CNN, they've got like crazy fancy maps and this, and you know, touch screen and it's really interesting and it's kind of really dramatic and it's in the moment and it's almost like it's like Anchorman, you know what I mean? Where they like almost like, oh, and l- like let's go to yeah. this anchor now who's following doing this car chase. It's kinda, it's very entertaining. Um, Are Americans day to day quite kind of guarded about their political beliefs or like as an outsider, does it give you an easier way in to talk about it? Yeah, I would say it's kind of a very taboo um, thing to talk about. And from talking to people, a lot of people have said to me, you know, it wasn't always this way. You know, it wasn't always as, you know, polarized and stuff. Right now, it's, you know, the highest order of taboo to talk any politics in the office. And for the most part, people will avoid it unless they know someone's political affiliation or leaning. Um, I've kind of relished the opportunity to talk to people on both sides. Um, I feel like, yeah, without having a horse in the race, you can really kind of get into some deep conversations with people. And I honestly, I've loved talking to people who voted for Trump mm. and figuring out why. I mean, they're not, because they're not bad people. I mean, half of the US voted for Trump. Like, you know what I mean? We kind of have this idea in, in our head of this kind of very conservative um yeah, like individualistic a kind of person yeah it would amaze you to see to actually get to know people and see how they voted um there's one guy i work with is really interesting and as i said you know they also love the opportunity to chat to you about it because it's so taboo here that they can't just have an open conversation about it so like your open ears are so welcoming to them they're like oh this guy actually you know wants to talk about it and 
I guess I can tell him, I can just spout my beliefs because he doesn't have a vote and they almost feel like they're educating you a little bit as well, and they are. Um, but there's this one guy I work with, he's and it's really interesting character, just kind of complete anarchist. And he voted for Trump in the last election, but also wanted to see him impeached. He um, just kind of hates the whole DC establishment and the whole you know, political establishment here. And he wants to, I mean, he, he, he's just, he, he's a bit of an anarchist and a bit kind of wild or tapped, but he's really interesting to talk to. He wanted, he, his ideal world is that Trump would just like burn down the political establishment in DC and he would see um, Bush and Obama and maybe Clinton tried in the Hague for crimes against humanity uh, for their involvement in stuff in the Middle East. Like, that's, you know, th this is the kind of level of someone that might vote for Trump who is kind of very frustrated with the political system here. Um, and then, but I think that all changed in the last four years, you know? I think people almost sympathized a little bit with that um, protest vote last time around. But I think people weren't as sympathetic to that protest vote this time around. Um, people were like, yeah, we understand, you know, the system is broken and you're pissed off or whatever. But I think there was a lot of damage done in the last four years where I don't know if that was a valid, like a lot. I don't know if a lot of people felt that was a valid reason anymore. Mm. Um, like what it. type of damage do you think has been done, like from your perspective? Because you've been there pretty much since Trump took power. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, my time here has totally coincided with yeah. Um, actually, my my immigration process and my visa process was like going on when the twenty sixteen election was happening, and um, you know, my visa got improved. You know, within days of kind of Trump getting nominated and stuff, and people were asking me, "Oh, are you still going to go?" And obviously, I did. Um, and you know, my kind of thinking at the time was, "Ah, sure. You know, I'm only going for a few years," and. Uh, it won't really impact me much. And that's, you know, obviously coming from a place of privilege, you know. Um, I think the impact over the last four years, a lot has been reputation, you know. I think talking to a lot of my American friends, they're just kind of embarrassed at what's going on. And I think for the first time, other countries have kind of looked at America with pity, you know. Um, because America, I mean, in, in the Western world is our is our superpower, really. And, uh, you know, undoubtedly our kind of largest cultural influence. And we've always kind of looked to America with awe, you know. And I think for the first time, you had young people kind of not looking so fondly on the country, you know. Um, I think the damage that has been done is just you have someone in you know, the highest political position who is just constantly, it will just, is ruthless, will do anything to get his way. He's kind of, you know, not, he is just willing to, you know, be dishonest and lie, blatantly lie and whatever. And there's no kind of credibility or honesty about him. And there's no kind of feeling of care. Um, I think just looking at how nationally, I suppose, the, um, the pandemic was handled and just even Trump's messaging you know um, I you don't know how many times you've heard him call it the 
the China virus, you know? Or the Kung I flu mean, I heard that's recently. not a very politically correct thing to say. Really? God. Uh, but, I mean, he's just kind of given a voice to a lot of deplorable acts and a lot of kind of racist, narcissistic, kind of xenophobic ideas, I suppose. And just even... I, I, you saw in his... Um, in the pre-election debate, um, you know, the Proud Boys, they're this kind of far-right um, kind of cult. They're, you know, kind of like almost... Uh, they're kind of very racist, xenophobic kind of cult. And he was asked, you know, what would you say to the Proud Boys? And he said, stand by and be prepared or something. You stand, know what I mean? Like stand he's by just... and stand firm or something like that. Stand firm and stand yeah. by. It was very... Uh, it was Yeah, it was a weird kind of nod to them. Um, there's been weird things as well. Like uh, I know this is kind of off topic, but uh, when Ghislaine Maxwell got brought into custody, they were like, what, do you have anything to say to her? This is Epstein's second in command. And he was just like, I wish her well. It's like, what, what does that mean? Like, that's so ambiguous. Um, like from my perspective, Trump is a divisive character. He's, he's somebody that in, in business, he's a winner and he's kind of like win at all costs. It doesn't really matter what happens to the other people. And in a time of crisis where the country is so divided it's very dangerous to have somebody that's so volatile so divisive at the top like if you look at somebody like uh barack obama like say what you want about his policies like his his drone strikes or his his um treatment of whistleblowers obama was a statesman and somebody that there was a sense of like a true leader, a true intelligent person, somebody who could listen to reason and somebody that in a time of need, it's what you want to look at. Like he's an example. Trump is kind of like decadent America. He's nearly like Wolf of Wall Street America. Like greed is good. He's a very, like if you're looking at a spectrum of what people view as kind of like peak America, Trump is peak America. Trump is kind of like, what was coming if you let let kind of like everything just run free if that makes sense and it's yeah i totally agree you've said it way better than i did but it's um i think it's very important for people to realize that 50 percent of the population still voted for this guy you know so i mean you've got people on the left who are just like oh you know these people are awful and you know uh, not everyone's like that you've got people on the far left that are like that i guess and, and it is very divisive like you said and there's no leader nobody to unite yeah like i hope biden you know is or the next administration is can unite more because i mean yeah it's just been so divisive lately and i think it's really important to treat trump as kind of a, a symptom of what's wrong in the country at the moment and try to you know cure those symptoms um because again like you're just going to polarize if you go if you do the opposite of what trump did and kind of you know really kind of appease the left you're just going to further divide the country again and you've got this this flip-flop or sw you know swaying back and forth um and i there was this i listened to this really interesting podcast by uh a lady, uh, Naomi Klein, and I think um, she's a Canadian author, but was born to American parents. Um, so, you know, still kind of has a lot of interest in the States. But she said, I mean, for people 
it's dangerous for people to be shocked about Trump, that you need to think of Trump as almost the epitome of unpleasant things in American culture. Like he's kind of cheerleader culture. He's kind of, you know, eternal capitalism. He's just kind of like this kind of narcissistic um, consumerism as a way of life, kind of reality TV embodiment, you know what I mean? And I guess that's what needs to be addressed. Like Trump just represented those aspects of society or culture. They're not gone away. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, some of the next, like, I, I suppose Biden and the next administration, they need to, you know, unite, and work to unite that and not kind of... Yeah, I, I think what you were saying earlier as well about the fact that a significant part of the country still voted for Trump. I think it's very important in the next four years that there's a little bit more dialogue because again just being somebody that's kind of watching it unfold in the states the the lack of unity or dialogue or conversation or even just hearing the other side is is quite worrying like i do think when you look at the left and you look at the right in the states it seems like they're both talking past each other with talking points like let's say with coronavirus if the right is very focused on the economy and they're saying that we need to reopen to save jobs and essentially i suppose to save people's lives in that way the left is saying that we need to protect the vulnerable at all costs and neither side listens to what the other side is saying it's just they're both spouting their positions into the ether you know what i mean it's it's not a dialogue it's it's extreme talking points on the other side and nobody comes out and nearly acknowledges either the nuance or the fact that there are certain similarities you know what i mean that that there's like people in general probably have more in common than they do differences i think as well with with um with america like if you are taking all of your information from twitter you're listening to an extreme vocal minority like i think it's something like in the States, 10% of the adult population makes something like 90 to 95% of the tweets. So if your lens as a journalist or as a, a spectator is just what's happening on social media and probably the most toxic social media platform ever, it's, it's a very skewed way to look at what people are like day to day. Like from your perspective... <sighs> Do you feel like, let's say you've been there probably close to four years now. Do you feel in the last two years that there is an extreme divide or what is it like? Well, it's, it's funny that you said that um, about, you know, the kind of almost reinforcement of information. And I think, yes, there is a divide. And in, in, even in terms of where people get their news, I mean, you look at Fox versus CNN or something. And I mean, it, it kind of comes down to almost, from in terms of social media and Twitter and Facebook and all this stuff, it, it comes down to algorithms. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you start watching these far right or far left people, the algorithm is just going to keep feeding you that information. And I don't know if you watched that documentary, The, the Social Dilemma, but there was interesting experiments done in that where they... Um, you know, they got someone, you know, kind of a liberal to Google climate change is, 
and you know the first thing that comes up is climate change is you know the biggest problem facing the world and um climate change you know blah 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 all more scientific and more um kind of warning information about it whereas you if you were you know a conservative and googled at, you, you know climate change is it's climate change is a hoax you know climate change is a liberal agenda you know all this kind of stuff came up um and I, I mean that was based on your previous search history and the from where you you know where you were searching from so yes i think it is extremely divided and has gotten more divided and i think definitely the media and social media have seemed to play a big part in that because people fundamentally believe what they're seeing you know what i mean um another guy i worked with um you know we were chatting at the start of the pandemic and he was you know reasonably concerned he had some underlying health conditions and i you know i was saying like you know how are you and your family doing are you isolating and he's like you know man we're just you know staying safe and we're um we're all at home here and we're just getting our news from fox news we don't want any of that other junk from other stations and to me that's comical you know i'm like thinking, jesus you know you're trusting fox like you know fox is kind of this, yeah globally kind of seen as a bit of a joke like um you know it's i think fox had a lawsuit a number of years ago and in the lawsuit they got out of fact checking because they said they're an entertainment station not a news station or something weird like this but I mean, their anchors are just, you know, I mean, very biased and, you know, kind of spouting their own opinions. But I think I've, yes, I've noticed it more divided, but I think possibly just because I've become more aware. Um, it's kind of took me a while to kind of understand the political system and the division here. And I guess maybe at the end of the last election, yes, people were kind of shocked and upset, but I guess. Life kind of went on day to day. Um, I guess, uh, you know, this election, I've kind of been more involved and kind of researched a bit more or just kind of learned a bit more. And you can definitely see the division. And it's funny, I kind of, for the longest time living here, I kind of always had this mentality of, you know, I'm only going to be here for two or three years and I almost disassociated myself from the problems here and it's funny it actually i mean this is going to sound you know a bit pompous but it wasn't until we were out on that bike ride and saw those you know far-right people protesting the mask wearing and yelling at healthcare workers and i mean the, the caption was you know go back to china if you want communism is what this lady was yelling at this healthcare worker and i mean just Seeing that in what I kind of classify as this kind of liberal bubble, you know, where it, it was kind of shocking to me. And I was like, okay, well, suddenly this isn't just a problem in a less progressive state or a less progressive city. And it isn't something that's happening a thousand miles away. You know, I, with everything that was going on in the States, I, I, I kind of afforded myself the privilege of disassociating myself from it. I was like, you know, yeah, this is crazy, but I'm an Irish citizen. And I'm going to go back there and yeah, you could, and Ireland at the moment, you know, is very progressive and there's a lot of good things happening um, in terms of, you know, inclusion and progression. So it's kind of associating with that. And I feel that's also a negative way of looking at it. You know, you're kind of here reaping the cultural, economical, personal benefits from the country. 
and you're kind of allowing yourself to be like, yeah, look, America's kind of crazy, but I'm just, you know, going to kind of turn a blind eye to it's it. It's not your problem. So it was in, yeah, and it was in, it was interesting to kind of start viewing yourself as part of the problem. Um, what do you mean by part of the problem? Um, well, if everyone kind of like you, the point you were making that, you know, it's so divided, but if nobody takes ownership, if there's constantly, it's their fault, it's, it will never be solved. And it is like, not that I'm going out, you know, not that I'm a political advocate or anything like, or, um, but I mean, you can see how that kind of mentality can also leak in or is, is also at play between other Americans, you know? well, he's from this other state or what, you know what I mean? But uh, it's, it's also funny. Yes, it's so divided, but looking from the outside, yeah, Americans on the left and the right in so many ways are so similar Absolutely. and almost that's, that's the problem. That's the blind spot yeah. that both sides can't see. They have far more in common in terms of like definitely their actions than, than they do uh, like a side. Like they think that they're so incredibly divided, but both groups think similar things about the other side loosely. You know what I mean? It's a generalization, but when you look at the far left or the far right, both like, it's like if you were, if you were like a very centrist person, you could look at both sides and kind of point out similarities in how they treat the other side or how they go about their business. I agree. And even culturally and, you know, day to day, you know, I think, a lot of Americans are quite similar. And it's kind of the thing for me, I guess the analogy I use in my own head is, you know, you're living in America, English speaking on a weekly basis. Somebody might ask you, are you from the UK or something? Or, you know, they hear your accent. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I'm not, you know, I'm Irish and Ireland's not part of the UK. And, you know, we're so similar that I go out of my way to be like, no, Ireland's not part of you. You know, if someone makes that mistake or they might say like, Someone in work might say to me, oh, you're going back to the UK. I'm like, you know, no, I might go back to Ireland, though. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're kind of... Whereas if someone mistakes me for being Australian or South African, I mightn't be as defensive about it. But because we're so similar and so close, I almost um, make a bigger deal out of it, you know what I mean? Or try to de- differentiate myself more. And so if if you've been living in the States for the last four years, it does sound like you've kind of become a little bit more politically engaged, like coming up to this election, like what are maybe the issues that were important to you and how, what was your perspective on them? I guess climate change was a massive issue that, you know, I mean, Trump just left the Paris uh, agreement or Paris accord, um, which is kind of pretty shocking, you know, for, you know, the country that's supposed to be the leader of the Western world, um, leaving that, I mean, Biden has said he will rejoin, which is very positive. Um, the racial issues were, you know, really hot this this summer. You know, there, were, there was just a lot of um, tension, um, you know, kind of sparked by, you know, the, the, the killing of George Floyd. Um, and just, again, like you said, kind of, America being void of a voice of reason or leader. And I mean, there was just a lack of leadership there. Everything felt kind of, again, divided and almost militant. And, you, you know, you saw um, the the images of Trump, you know, the, 
all, all summer, you know, there was the Black Lives Matter protests were going on in cities all over the country. And in DC, that you know, the protesters that were tr- that were uh, protesting outside the White House were tear gassed and like pushed over the way so Trump could walk across the street to get a f- for a photo opportunity at a church. And I mean, it, that was just such so indicative, or of you know, kind of what was wrong, or so many things that were going wrong. Um, Someone more. That's something that that I felt has been a problem. Just the lack of diplomacy, like, um, and that lack of diplomacy just leading to a lot of other undesirable acts. Um, is one of the big negative things that I've kind of noticed. Um, but also I kind of the fear tactics. Um, I feel like to me. Trump fans and Trump supporters are intimidating because I'm probably thinking these guys are armed. You know what I mean? You see them like for the first time in, in my four years here, you've kind of, I'm living now five blocks from the state capital and, you know, different weekends, there's been kind of, you know, far left protests and then far right protests. And you're, you know, you're kind of feeling like these people are armed and it's kind of, there's a, there's an unease in the air, you know, or tension in the air, definitely over the summer with all the, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests going on and just the conflict between law enforcement and the protesters was pretty intense. Um, So I I guess the hope for the next administration is just, it'll be more unifying, you know. What do you think, Biden will bring to the table like do you think a lot of people voted for Biden because he was the best man for the job or do you think it was anybody but Trump do you think it was a little bit of a a mix like it does Biden inspire you as a leader no uh, <laughs> he doesn't um it's it, it's funny because I mean because it's so divided you have to take a different approach you and it's a lot of people I, you know, I, I talk to at work that are, you know, definitely on the li- liberal end of the spectrum, um, kind of wanted somebody like that, a little more centralist, a little less radical. I think in 2016, um, obviously Bernie was, you know, a really popular candidate, Bernie Sanders, and it seemed to be again the kind of. Um, corruption in the Democratic Department or dem- the, the Democratic Party. He kind of got a little bit shafted and Hillary was kind of, you know, their preferred kind of groomed candidate that they wanted to put forward. And I think that pissed off a lot of people too, um, that he was, you know, kind of shafted. And I think, but I think with this election, yeah, you know, Bernie was running again and people were really excited and, you know, he had his, you know, a more a more socialist agenda. I don't, And I don't think it's that radical... As a European, I don't think it's that radical, you know, the stuff he's, um, you know, suggesting or putting forward. But yeah, with Bernie Sanders, like he like in in Europe, he would be probably in the leftist socialist box. But like if you look at American politics, his ideas are probably more radical because even like the Democratic Party, they're much more of a, a centrist, maybe center left party in Europe. Like if you were going to plunk them into Europe, they're definitely not on the left. No, they're not. No. Um, but I think, 
you know, to touch on the points you made, like, because it's, it is so divided, I think there was a lot of people thinking, okay, Biden is a kind of less divisive character. Yeah. He's kind of, you know, America's granddad kind of vibes. Um, and I think that was very attractive to people. And I think it was probably, you know, you put some of the more radical candidates up there and there's just fear that, um, I guess, you know, Trump would do the business again. Um, I think looking at the administration, though, like having, you know, Kamala Harris as the VP, I mean, she's, you know, seems like a really cool lady, really progressive. She was very supporting of the Green New Deal, you know, with all the kind of um, different climate change regulations and sustainable development regulations and um, just seems to have my much more progressive policies and a stance so i think it could work well have you know the the tag team of biden and um kamala i mean you know biden hopefully as a more centralist figure will unite a bit more what were like the main things he was running on like why why were people supposed to vote for him like compared to compared to trump's policies like what were the main things what what would have been his top three sort of campaign running topics good question <laughs> um i think a lot of what he was saying in the debates was kind of america's reputation is on the line and i think he was really trying to appeal to you know um the global reputation and um, i think he also kind of went in you know saying he wanted to um I think he's going to tax, there's going to be a little bit of a wealth tax, maybe. Um, he went in kind of with, um, he went in pretty strong on the climate agenda, actually, you know, saying he, he I think he has some, like, you know, $4 trillion plan to kind of um, make a lot of infrastructure more resilient and stuff. And I think climatize um, or make a lot of, you know, infrastructure climate ready. So that was one of his big things. And I think um a wealth tax is something he's kind of talked about um got beyond that kev i don't really know i think uniting the country was a big thing or and um kind of fixing mending the reputation was something he kept kind of saying in the debates i suppose like um, from an irish perspective he sees himself as an irish catholic so from ireland's perspective it's probably positive that he's in the white house i think he's the the first irish catholic since kennedy to to be in the white house so he he does have very strong links to ireland i don't know what that necessarily means for us in the long term but maybe there will be some positive benefits who knows kev it's funny he's only the second catholic president in the history of the states mm. um you know i mean it's a very when you look at the political establishment here and the just the elite in general it's it, it's still quite a, a protestant country um i think if you look at the breakdown and um, this isn't going to be exact but i think roughly um, i think 50 percent of america is protestant and 25 percent 20 percent catholic and then obviously a lot of atheists and then you've got a kind of a mix of some of the other um religions as well but yeah i mean he's the second only catholic not that that matters and i not not that i don't think any you know that we really care or neither of us are very religious but i mean culturally it's kind of an interesting thing as an irish catholic i guess yeah there's some interest there it's funny i actually i saw him um interviewed a couple of different clips of him being interviewed there was one when he just got nominated um a bbc reporter yelled at him um oh biden do you have any comments for the bbc 
And he's like, BBC? I'm Irish. And just kept walking. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, what a fiend. Like, <laughs> And then there's another clip of him meeting Enda Kenny. And I don't know, is it like kind of like almost like a hidden camera kind of thing? Or maybe he didn't know he was on camera, but they're meeting um, on Paddy's Day a couple of years ago. Obviously four or five years ago when Enda Kenny was still uh, Taoiseach. But um he said oh yeah you know we're all wearing green here nobody wearing orange is allowed in here today is what biden said <laughs> so i think he is very proud of his irish catholic roots and he did bring that up in some of the debates actually and i think everyone by the people of clare maybe <laughs> are happy that <laughs> uh biden's in um you know, trump has the big golf course there but also i think looking at it from an economical standpoint trump was lowering the corporate tax rate here which was making ireland less attractive for um you know the corporate tax reasons so i would say that biden will probably raise those again and will make you know continue ireland will continue to be attractive for its corporate tax rates was there a big sense of relief when biden won now i know trump is only like conceded as of today but like was there a sense of relief or was like what was it like yeah, it was funny. I mean, I'm, as I said, five blocks from the state capital. So you're kind of in the ticket things downtown and surrounded by other apartment blocks. But as you know, for the 30 minutes after the results were announced last Saturday or that Biden had, you know, kind of gotten over the, the 270 electoral college votes, um, you know, you could hear the screams out in the street. Um, and again, you know, a very progressive liberal city. So that would be expected. Then we kind of, we ended up going out for breakfast that morning and a lot of people driving by honking their horns and, you know, Biden, Biden flags. And um, there was a lot, like, I mean, this was 10.30 or 11.30 in the morning here. And, you know, a lot of people in the pubs early and uh, a lot of mimosas flying around at the breakfast. It wasn't, I mean, if you look at the scenes from New York where everyone was out in the street and celebrating and crying, it, it was it, like it wasn't to that there, like... Yeah, it, it wasn't that extent to that extent here. Um, but I think, yeah, there was a big sense of relief. Um, actually a kind of a, a bit of a segue or tangent, but, um, my girlfriend, Olivia, she had been working at a, a call center and a voter information a nonpartisan voter information call center, uh, last Monday and Tuesday of the election. Um, just, you know, for anyone that had any questions about both, there was also not only the presidential election, but there was a lot of, you know, local Colorado issues on the ballot. Um, so if anyone had any kind of, you know, questions about any of the, anything on the ballot, they could call up this number. But they, they got one call um, to say that outside of one of the polling stations just outside Denver, there was armed Trump supporters, intimidating voters. You know what I mean? So I think for a city like Denver, where maybe a lot of people would have maybe left more conservative states or cities and kind of come here as kind of a safe place there was probably a sense of relief too you know that that hopefully there won't be that intimidation or um discomfort over the next the next administration has your thoughts on america changed like you've been there for four years would you see yourself staying for another four years uh, what what are your thoughts on 
on like life and like living in Denver? It's funny. I mean, yeah, even personally, I felt like it was, it was difficult to stand by your decision with Trump in office. I mean, every week, you know, America, you know, Trump was in the news every day in Ireland or, you know, worldwide. And it was, it was a bit of a laughing stock. And, you know, some people couldn't understand why you'd want to be here when all this kind of stuff is going on. Um, I think I've kind of lifetime love affair with America. Um, you know, I've got some kind of family connections to America and stuff. Um, for me, I was kind of this year more than any other year. I questioned my choice to be here because at the end of the day, it's a choice for me. And that almost kind of added some weight to it. You know, I feel like if you're an American citizen, you kind of have to be here, you know, unless you can immigrate or get a visa and move somewhere else. But I kind of, I'm choosing to be here and it's interesting to choose to be here in a time when, you know, politically the country is kind of in turmoil, you know, um, and it, you know, the, the, and the administration isn't aligning with your values whatsoever. Um, but in a lot of ways, you can remove yourself from that, you know. I mean, in the middle of the summer, you know, with the height, you know, when kind of things were really heated here with um, the Black Lives Matter movements and just, you know, some other kind of protests that were going on. And, you know, there was a lot of tension in the air in the city. We took a road trip um, and went camping for two weeks. And it's amazing, yeah, it's, you know, when you're in the city, big cities, things feel tense and things feel, feel real. But when you kind of get outside that, your day-to-day, you're not, you're not dealing with that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? So you can kind of get, get on with it. Um, in terms of me staying here, I think I would feel more comfortable um, with, you know, a, with the Biden administration. I, I, I would feel more comfortable staying longer. Um, I think Trump could have done a lot more damage with the political appointments he made in a second term. You know, he kind of, with Amy Coney, Coney Barrett and some of these political appointments, you know, they had the majority in the Supreme Court and they kind of went in with the majority in the Senate. So he could have done a lot of damage if, you know, had the election swayed the other way. Um, it's funny, I mean, yeah, definitely in the last year, question it a lot. And people here have also questioned it, you know what I mean? That you're kind of talking with people here and they're, you know, they're frustrated with things that are going on. They're, they're, they're kind of looking at you, well, why are you, what are you doing here? You know, you can escape this kind of thing. And it's funny to kind of question your own reasons for being here. Um, I read a, an article by Sean Moncrief, um, Irish Times author, and he, our journalist, and he was kind of talking about how his opinions were changing towards America. Um, I mean, he doesn't live here, so I mean, it's kind of, but it's still entitled to opinion, uh, an opinion of how his, you know, how his opinions are changing towards America. But he had a really interesting line in the article, and it said, there's a wild, sexy optimism about America, and everyone seems happy to be there. Like, as crazy as shit is, like, there's still this wildness there's still this sexiness and there's still an optimism about america and you I, like you felt that too yeah. um it feels like a very nearly 
adolescent or teenage culture like everything is about youth and fun and energy and experience it's very very interesting over there and like i as a country i fucking love my time in america i think it's a it's a fantastic experiment yeah um no i agree i mean it, it is a very youthful country you know um and and adolescent country you've hit you know the nail on the head there but um how would you feel i mean you know you, you spent a couple of years here back and forth soccer coaching i mean would you have happily done it in the in the last couple of years or would have would the administration have turned you off or would your values have kind of changed do you think um it's a good question i suppose if I was the same age that I was when I was doing the soccer coaching, so like early 20s, it wouldn't have made a difference to me because I didn't, like even when I was over there at the time, politically, I knew nothing, you know what I mean? It just wasn't in my wheelhouse, even though it does seem to be a constant conversation in America about politics. I just wasn't politically engaged. So anything that was happening, I was nearly blissfully unaware, if that makes sense. Um, now, I don't know, like, I suppose I haven't lived the Trump years in America, but as well, I suppose it's like, how much do you let it affect you versus is there a place where you can live the way you want to live? Like, I don't know how oppressive it is in certain places at the moment. I don't know how relaxed it is in certain places in the moment from an outsider looking in. I think you're right in terms of the way Trump was bringing the country. If he had won this second election and campaigning was now a thing of the past and he didn't have to worry about public opinion as much, he could just enact things. I think there would have been much more damage or at least conflict um, in this second term. So like Biden Biden's not like for me he's not an inspiring candidate he just seems like a safe pair of establishment hands yeah I mean Sleepy Joe is the those names stick man uh, yeah Crooked Hillary I mean yeah looking at the debates I mean yeah definitely didn't go away energized you know what I mean no matter what people say about Obama and people are very divided about Obama you listen to Obama speak, you come away energized and optimistic. Um, part of it, I mean, was Trump dragged the debates to a lower place, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but, yeah, you weren't, until <laughs> until in one of the debates, uh, Biden came out and said, you know, I'm Irish Catholic from Scranton, Pennsylvania, or whatever, and I was like, yeah, you know, go Biden. <laughs> but until, like, I'm... Just just because he said the Irish thing, which is so stupid, but <laughs> uh, and he wasn't very energizing, no. Um, and I think that is a frustration for a lot of people, you know. But with the way the political system is, a two-horse race, people were just content, you know, and relieved. Do you think it's as well, at this stage, it's a ridiculous job to ask somebody to rule one of the biggest economies history has ever seen? Like, you're supposed to be the guy or the girl who has the answer to every single question. What do we do with the economy? What do we do with healthcare? What do we do with racial issues? Like, 
nobody has enough information to deal with the complexity that is the job of the president. Like, it seems like an impossible job for one person to do. And it's very, very interesting that, like, the system is, like, what, 250 years old at this stage? Like, it, it seems anachronistic at this time. It seems like a job that's out of its time. Like, how can somebody do everything and be every everything to everybody and do it in four years while campaigning for two of those years it it doesn't make sense anymore really i'm playing golf for the other two <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's funny to think i think was it actually mentioned in that uh, book the culture code that you recommended to me that i think the u.s um um constitution is the second oldest constitution in the world or something crazy like that. I mean, yeah, it's a young country, but I think a lot of other countries rewrote their constitution in the last hundred years, you know, after World War One and Two, and, you know, there was kind of a restructuring. But America's got a really old constitution. Um, there's a Joe Rogan sketch on this as well, and Joe Rogan, you know, is talking about the founding fathers, and he says, you know, if they were to come back today and were like, whoa, shit, you guys are still using this? Like, <laughs> You didn't write any more rules? Yeah. We wrote these on fucking fetters and rode by horseback. Yeah, on the back of a cigarette pack. But It is um, amazing how well it's held up. And I, it's, it's also worth noting, and I mean, I'm sure people are aware that, you know, the federal system, the states do get a lot of power themselves. Um, and you've got you know, like for instance, um, weed is federally illegal. Colorado and, you know, 10 or 15 other states have legalized it. Uh, yes, you're still dealing with the economy at large. You're still dealing with healthcare, you know, some of these larger issues, you know, war, all this kind of stuff. Um, but the states do have a lot of power themselves. Mm. And you can even see how progressive states like California kind of almost influence regulation at a national level. California has got such a big population and such an economy, like they put in, you know, vehicle emission standards and then the standards just change nationally because the manufacturers just react to that and, you know, they change their standards in turn. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's funny, like, to have one leader for, I, I mean, somewhere like rural Arkansas or Alabama or some of these places versus San Francisco, Boulder, Seattle. Like, I mean, worlds apart, like, you know, mm. um, I don't know the answer. Do you still enjoy life in Denver? Like what, what aspects of, of life in Denver appeal to you at this stage in your life? I think the thing, it's funny, I, there's there's not that many Irish here, really. There There is, but they just, there isn't that community that there would be, that you could fall into in some of the bigger cities, you know, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, you know, they've got a bunch of GA teams and there's there's kind of, you know, you can, your dad would know someone who'd get you a job almost kind of thing. Um, whereas the Irish that have, ended up in somewhere like you know denver or you know some some of the surrounding cities or states they've kind of done uh they've kind of 
come somewhere different for a reason maybe a lot of them and kind of not that they're running away but they're kind of they're trying to em- totally embrace the life here as opposed to going and hanging out with the lad living with the lad they lived with in college and secondary school or whatever um but it's funny i was chatting to one of the older irish lads here a couple of weeks ago and he was saying to me that he he feels that he can do a lot of things here that he wouldn't necessarily do at home like he can go into any bar and not feel weird or awkward in there and i think there is that adolescent and playful kind of culture that you touched on that everyone's still kind of young you know no one wants to grow up here kind of Mm. um i mean personally for me just the access to the outdoors here and just kind of where you're situated in the states you know a couple of hundred miles west is really the wild west and there's still that kind of romantic idea of you know getting in the car which you're imagining to be a horse and you're just riding off into the <laughs> into the west and there's just a lot of um recreational opportunity here the weather is amazing like you know you, you never need to plan anything um like as i said I, th- I think there's 315 days of sunshine on average you never need to have a plan b like yeah um and don't get me wrong i absolutely love ireland and long for ireland but i think just the weather the recreational opportunities here um just yeah the crack being different here as well you know what i mean there's there's uh, from a completely selfish standpoint i mean it's kind of it's fun to be different and unique you know yeah um we there's a couple there's i'm in a kind of whatsapp group with two other irish lads and we're kind of fairly pally and we go for pints or go socialize together a lot and we'd be the kind of only two irish three irish and you know everyone else be american and there's just a bit of crack with that you know um i don't know i i'm kind of torn between whether to stay longer or whether to go home i definitely long for ireland you know and i'd love to be out in a cold wet windy beach in donegal you know or you know drinking pints in some snog in ireland but right now this is suiting me and it's funny i'm, I'm almost nervous about getting too comfortable here because i never saw myself here full-time and the idea of ending up here full-time is kind of scary. Um, and you wonder, I've talked to other Irish people who are like here and they're very much like, yeah, you know, I ended up, I planned to come here for a year or two and, you know, 25 years later, <laughs> uh, I've, you know, they have a spouse and kids and whatever. Um, so I don't know. You, I know you're really enjoying Dublin. I was like, I don't know, 2020 with Dublin, like there's nothing open in Dublin. Like uh, up until last year, I loved Dublin as a spot to live. There was so much going on culture-wise, sport-wise, activity-wise, only just down the road from home. This year, everything that I enjoy about the city anyway is closed. So if things reopen next year... I fucking love Dublin as a spot like I I think it's a really cool place to live but this year aspects of Dublin that I really appreciate they're just they're not they're not accessible anymore so it's kind of like the sooner that can come back the better and I mean I'm sorry I'm I'm painting way too pretty of a picture here as well I totally agree with you in Denver I mean like I'm in a one-bed apartment here 
um, you know, myself and my girlfriend working from home uh, every day. And, you know, with the restrictions that were here in springtime, yeah, I mean, it was tough. You know, there's no, the bar scene isn't there yet. You can go to bars, but, you know, they're at 25% capacity and you're not supposed to be mingling. And, um, you know, there's no concerts. There's no, so yeah, I'm very happy in Colorado, but in terms of Denver, I, I, right now it would almost be nicer to live in the suburbs, you know, because you'd have yeah. a garden or you'd, like we were in this one bed apartment smack bang in the middle of downtown, but there's no balcony. There's no common space. Um, we're a couple of blocks away from a park, which is nice, but yeah, you're all, it would be nice to be a bit more rural at the moment. I, the novelty of the city has definitely worn off at the month. Yeah. Um, yeah, like for me, it's definitely taught me that all the things that I thought I really needed to be content, you can do without, you can do without them. But long term, if, if you didn't have the amenities that a city provides, why would you live in a city? That's kind of my view of it. Are any of your, I'm finding a lot of my friends uh, still in Ireland. Um, and some friends here actually have done something similar, but they've moved back to Wexford uh, from Dublin, uh, living with their folks or living in a parent's holiday home or something, you know. Um, and I wonder, I know some of them, it's kind of terrifying. I'm 28 now. A lot of my friends are like getting engaged, getting married, having babies. It's every week on Instagram. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, some of them are buying houses in Wexford or, or other smaller towns around the country, you know. And you'd wonder, these were people I would have thought would have stayed in Dublin, you know. Mm. And I wonder if things open back up, will they be happy with their decision or is there just with remote working now for you know people working in offices and high-speed broadband and all this stuff i wonder will there just be a, a kind of shift or will people kind of long for dublin and city life again i don't know i think it it definitely depends where you are in life you know what i mean it's like as well it's it's important to like let's say when you're in this pandemic you think it's going to stretch on for eternity like i'm very seasonal that way in ireland when it's warm i'm like fuck it it's going to be summer forever when i'm in the depths of winter <laughs> it feels like it's going to be winter forever i'm very kind of like extreme thinking like that and i think it's important to realize that let's say let's say if covid goes on for another year another two years it's not forever and i think it's very important to kind of think like don't settle down when you're happy, settle down when you're ready. Like it's a, it's a good kind of like frame of mind to be in, if that makes sense. Like things can change very, very quickly. Like if you're like, oh yeah, no, this makes sense now. And like financially, it's a very, very cheap option for a house and look at all the money I'll be able to save. But if things completely reopen and you want to spend a couple of more years in the city before you start to have a family or you properly settle down, it's just it's it's important not to think very very short term you you have to think like am i ready to commit to this lifestyle regardless you know what i mean yeah no i i agree um and i think the life stage is a big thing um and that i mean yeah i mean just what the, the way the world is now is making us kind of make decisions that you wouldn't like i mean that's you know you're asking am, am i happy to stay here in 
in Denver and Colorado for the next few years. I mean, you kind of don't want to rock the boat at the moment, you know, or you kind of roll the dice. You kind of just, for me, it, you, it's hard to make all these great plans. Yeah, I want to move somewhere else. Yeah, I want to do this. You're kind of doing what's kind of easy right now as well, you know, or what makes sense for you or what makes you comfortable. Yeah. And uh, I guess right now the thought of moving back to Ireland or moving elsewhere economy-wise or job security-wise and trying to make find a house and make new friends and all that stuff is just kind of daunting, you know? I think those things as well, like those big life moves, they don't seem to get easier with time. You know what I mean? Like if you're if you're at the moment you're like oh i don't i don't know what i'll do do i take the risk i'm very content here it's it's tougher i think the longer you stay in a place the more natural roots you put down you know what i mean and the more familiar you get with the the pace of life in a place and change it just seems to be one of those things where as we get older we naturally become a little bit probably more risk averse or maybe a little bit more conservative in our risk taking i don't know what that is maybe it's like maybe it's like when you're younger as a man you've more testosterone so you're kind of more um assertive in a sense and as that depletes maybe there's a little bit of a link there i don't know yeah maybe that's um yeah i know the i, I mean making a big move or a big lifestyle change like that is a pain in the arse as well like you know what i mean the, yeah. you're uprooting yourself and yeah it's there's like only you, like you remember how long it took you to hang one fucking poster and then you're like oh jeez i couldn't fucking move house now yeah i know to <laughs> <laughs> take that down and put it back up again um yeah it's kind of i, I don't know it's a r- very romantic idea to and a very maybe modern irish idea to kind of I want to do two years in America and two years in Australia. And you know what I mean? You kind of like, we're all kind of influenced by, you know, these travel bloggers and whatever, and this kind of influencer life, maybe that we get a glimpse of. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely see that myself as well. You know, you're, you're for the first time, you're kind of accumulating a bit of savings after working for, you know, years and you're kind of, you're like you said, you're used to the pace of life. You've got yourself kind of set up as well. <laughs> I said that, that kind of terrifies me as well thinking jesus am i gonna end up settling down here or something but uh, there could be there's worse things to worry about but as well it's kind of like if travel is something that you you really want to do you just have to be willing to accept that it'll work out it'll be fantastic or there'll be days where you're like jesus why did i leave that fucking job like it's it's you can only make decisions with the information you have and it's it's just such a waste of time to, if things don't work out exactly how you want it, just to constantly kind of go back and berate yourself. It's just, it's unhelpful because we're all just fucking flying by the seat of our pants and making decisions day to day based off what we know today. You know what I mean? Totally. And just when you're talking about decision making there, this bit of a segue now, but funny thing I came across recently, I think it was a TED talk or something, but it was talking about difficult decisions and difficult decisions are difficult because both alternatives are good. You know what I mean? And if you have that mindset that this is a really hard decision because both outcomes are good. And then if you can commit and give your full energy to, you know, one of the choices and not regret, 
then you, you will make that choice good. You know, it, it, there's a reason it's a difficult decision. And that that idea is a very simple idea, but it's not easy. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's simple to put in words, and but it's not easy to come around to think, okay, like, I can commit to this decision because, you know, we're so indecisive and we're always trying to want to weigh up our own best options, don't we? But I think it's also unhelpful as well to always be looking at what else can I bring into my life to make me happy like this year has definitely taught me and maybe other people that there's a lot of things that just get taken from you in terms of control and being content day to day is one of the most important things like if you're somebody that um you're thinking right I won't be happy until I get that next promotion and then you get that next promotion your perspective will change to something that's out in the distance again and you'll always be chasing that satisfaction that's that's ultimately hollow because you can only appreciate it for a certain amount of time like a very very small amount of time no i agree um and i mean some of that kind of drive is really good i suppose as well isn't it because absolutely you know you keep you keep growing and um improving or whatever um and it's good to have some of that drive, but yeah, you can also drive yourself crazy um, by <laughs> constantly looking for the next thing. And I would say some right now, some of my reason for wanting to stay longer in the States is I want to see more. You know what I mean? There's parts of the States I want to see. And you only have so much time in the year, and especially with this year, um, just... There's more out there that I want to do, but also at the same time, Jesus, I've seen a lot and done a lot. You know, you could just move on to the next thing as well. And it's probably some of that mentality or some of that mindset that's kind of impacting. Yeah, I don't know. I think everybody's looking at next year as well. Like once we get into 2021, it'll be some sort of a silver bullet. But like this year has been so strange that you can't necessarily count on everything to snap back like an elastic band to normality like it's it's going to take time and even like i don't know will we ever get to where we were even a year ago like that'll take quite a while for things to normalize to a certain point yeah and it's funny time is a funny thing as well how people think about time and timelines and i was what kind of struck me here was when september rolled around and the case count was still you know decent here daily and um, you know, everyone was still working remotely or like there was a lot of, you know, measures in place, social distance measures in place. Um, but a lot of parents were, you know, oh, well, you know, September's coming around because kids are going back to school. It was kind of like you had this association with September. And even though, you know, there was a lot of restrictions in place, kids were still going back because that's what happens in uh, September. And it's funny with the, the year change thing. I feel like. I don't know. It's like, you know, new year, new me kind of. There's this, yeah. is it something magical that happens when the clock strikes midnight on the 31st of January? But it's funny how people are thinking, oh, yeah, like, you know, we'll be back to the office in January 2021. Why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of. Well, there's no rationality behind it. But maybe, maybe we need that, though. You know what I mean? You need to kind of take kind of. If, if we went in to something think, without knowing there was an end, to something that's mildly unpleasant, I suppose, or extremely unpleasant for some people. Um, I suppose dealing with it in increments like that and maybe 
that helps. Like, okay, schools are back in September. Okay, things will change in <laughs> in twenty twenty one. But it's it's yeah, it's a fun. It, there's no rationale behind it, like you said. Yeah, I think it's 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 very much wait and see. Um, man, it's a pity that you won't be back for the Christmas though. Like it's it's so long since we fucking hung out. Like, yeah, just it's almost a year ago since we did the the first podcast. Back then, I was just recording conversations like a crazy person. <laughs> he didn't even tell me you were recording. It was so weird. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But yeah, it's, a, it's such a pity. It was so nice to be back hanging out with you last yeah. Christmas. And I don't know, it's nice to be just. That was a fun uh, yeah, time just walking around Dublin. Like, yeah. My my accent hasn't changed, does it? Remember, we went into that pub and the fella straight away knew I was from Wexford. That was, yeah, that was the highlight of my Christmas. Delighted. Trip. You were delighted. You were delighted. I mean, do you have any plans for Christmas yourself and uh, the new year? I don't know, like, it, it all depends on when these restrictions start to be peeled back. Like, ideally, I'm, I'm going home for Christmas. Like, that's that's the way I see it. I'd be very surprised if people internally weren't allowed travel. But again, it's it's wait and see, you know what I mean? It's like, I think in my head, I'm, I'm building up Christmas to be like, oh, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Because, like, I really enjoyed last year's christmas and you're kind of like thinking back to it but it'll be nothing like that you know what i mean there'll be there'll be no events to go to you probably won't be able to eat out places you probably won't be able to drink out places like normal you won't be able to see the lads so it's like i don't know you're kind of setting yourself up for failure as well if you kind of just focus on oh it's going to be amazing like i'll be happy to see the family and we'll take it from there you know what i mean back in back in limerick kid back in limerick city man sipping cans in a field well, all right kev um, i was yeah man fantastic to talk to you and thanks a lot for giving me the time of a sunday i hate when people say that but uh man it's been a pleasure catching up right go on good luck peace